This episode is sponsored by Ravenhill. We are currently listening to Gold off their latest release, Midnight Gold, which is available on every music retailer, including Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, and YouTube. Check them out after this episode. It is worth a listen. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Producer Dudes. Producer Dudes podcast ever. Sweet. This is Eric Jones. And my name is Kaylin Orr. And we are bringing you some magic. From Eric's home studio. Yeah. So this is uh, actually, this home studio is really new. I just moved into this apartment like maybe three weeks ago. Yeah. Hasn't been too long ago at all. And, uh. It's been a hurdle because I've never had a room so bad that I required treatment immediately. <laughs> it's a good learning experience. I mean, like going down the road, even if uh, you stay here for a bit and then, you know, transition out of it into a new space, you oh. know, the knowledge you'll have gained from this room will definitely benefit you long term, I'm sure. For sure. No, I, I plan on staying in this room for at least the next two years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it. Would, I mean, I helped you hang this stuff <laughs> yeah, and kind of get it situated. So, yeah, you better stay here for a bit. <laughs> no, dude, for real. Like, it's I, I honest, honestly more so than the stress of moving it. It's the stress of, like, replugging all the holes in the wall and then explaining to management at this apartment complex why there's a thousand holes in it. <laughs> <laughs> I promise it had a purpose. It wasn't just me stabbing random spots in the wall out of anger, you know? For sure. Yeah. Well, uh, today I thought it'd be fun if we talked about uh, analog versus digital. Very um, cool. Which is a very broad spectrum of topic. Yeah, it is definitely broad, and there's so many different facets you can explore in that discussion. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're going to take it on a very, like you said, very broad spectrum. But, you know, we're going to cover a lot of things that, from our personal experience, that we have found to be true and, uh, you know... Kind even, of even just recent experience. Yeah, oh yeah, very, <laughs> very recent experience. Very humbling recent experience. So, um, speaking for myself, let me give you some uh, some background. I guess you know when you play guitar growing up, you have an amp, you have a guitar, and you just kind of do your thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even if it's acoustic, we well, just have an acoustic guitar, right? And then you know, learning at um, music stores and stuff, you know, I was taught like, oh, you could record this stuff. You can make your own stuff at home like this. And I remember my first recording interface was the Toneport uh, UX2. Oh my gosh. Mine, I don't think mine was even the Toneport. It literally, it wasn't the UX2. I had a guitar port. It was a guitar port. That was my first yes, interface. Yes, I had a guitar port too. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The little red. <laughs> yeah, uh, the little, little like dial that you like yes. you turned it. And that was like your preamp gain and that was it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was like, that's, that can't be right. Um, So I had the um the guitar port and then I got a UX2 because my guitar teacher was like, hey man, you're going to record some vocals. You got to have a mic prees. <laughs> and um, mine was the red and black one, right? And it yeah. was like a month before the black on black came out. And uh -huh. I was like, oh, that one looks so much cooler. It was way cooler. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, um, that's so weird, man. Yeah, because my my first guitar port was actually given to me like from my friend who who was like, I don't need this anymore. Can do you, do you want to record? You know, you can have it. I was like, sweet. You know, so that's how I got my start too. It's crazy. That's fun. Um, well, then uh, my first recording software, what was it? It had to have been that 
you know, just uh, Pod Farm, how it had that little guitar looper in the back of it that you could use to Yeah, wasn't it? Man, what was that called? It wasn't even, at least if I'm thinking of the right thing, there was a, it was like a Pro Tools, like, no. No, it was like its own, like, thing it came with. Okay. Um, but. Oh, it was, a, there was like Riff Tracker. Riff Tracker, that's it did, what it was. It, it had Riff Tracker, and it did have like a form of Pod Farm within Riff, riff Tracker that you could mm-hmm. use. And I remember even in my band, Don't Gazelin, so many demos that I did for that band were in Riff Tracker. Really? Yes. Like, like I was, uh, we recorded with uh, Kellen McGregor, who's the guitar player for Memphis Mayfire, and a lot of the demos that I showed him for that record were done in that. You know, it, and honestly, I got, I was just so used to that program, I got them to sound pretty dang good for what they were. And like, they had a little like drum looper thing that mm-hmm. you could throw in there and mess with. That was, that was, you had to like, buy new patterns mm-hmm. for like 20 bucks a piece or something ridiculous like that it was crazy man and that just goes to show like there are tons of people like i, I have buddies who have made like legit signing songs on garage band oh for sure and i'm just like dude what the heck and it's like well that's all they ever knew exactly. and uh you know they could pull it up on their phone and create a song in like 10 minutes which is awesome yeah um and so from the uh tone port i ended up getting I got a copy of Cubase that I never learned. Uh huh. That I never, I opened it up, couldn't even open a track. And then um, my, my friend gave it to me. Right. And then I got Fruity Loops. Oh, nice. I think everybody, again, I don't know if the, the tone port is always, or guitar port is like a pre, as prevalent, but I feel like Fruity Loops is so in somebody's recording story. Like at some point, everybody is used that mm-hmm. at some point. And I remember I could never get my MIDI keyboard to work with it. <laughs> and I was just a frustrated 15-year-old kid. I was like, right. it's not working. I can't make any music. And so, like, honestly, I put recording on hold for a while until um, I ended up getting a Logic 9. Uh-huh. Um, no, Logic 8. Uh-huh. I had Logic 8. It was like $800, came in this huge box, and it was a uh, 44.116-bit uh, only. Uh-huh. And I remember, like making songs in that and they sounded god awful <laughs> and um from that you know and long story short you know here i am you know i've had apollo stuff i'm currently we're uh, recording into a quantum by presonus interface into a pro tools rig right you know like it's a, <laughs> it's crazy it how works, things man. just develop yeah and um it wasn't until i think the last couple months maybe not even a month it's been like three weeks um that you know we have some outboard gear that we're like rocking for some of our recordings right. through Honey Gold. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like I was, I, I don't know. And I'll, I'll get to my background here in a second. Um, but yeah, I've always been reluctant to go the outboard gear route because I've always, even as a guitar player, like starting out, like I was very much even back whenever multi effects processors were not that great. Like I was super into the idea of, it's like, it just makes sense to me. It's so more economical. You have everything in one box. It's like, you don't have to like, you just like have your, you know, your, your pedals, your amp chain, your cabinet, like DI out. Everything is all in one box. That just made sense to me. It's like, why would you go through the trouble of when I was young? I was like, why would you go through the trouble of like having to mic up your amp and get all these little individual pedals? It just doesn't make sense to me. It's like, it's just way easier to do this. Obviously especially back then it sounded way better, but I feel like, cause I learned so much using like the, probably the, 
one multi-effect processor I used the most was in my learning process was the Zoom GFX8. It was like mm-hmm. the little g- army green thing mm-hmm. with like the yellow orange text on it. Like I learned so much about guitar tone using that unit. And I think I owe a lot to that unit and I've kind of wanted to buy another one just to see if I could just like <laughs> recall some of my favorite tones that I had growing up using that thing. There's so much you can learn that way. So all that to say, yeah, we've, we took a while before us to try to like, okay, let's dive into some outboard gear and see what it's all about. Um, definitely use some in some studios. Um, but anyway, my recording background, it actually starts back to, uh, I was 13 years old and I remember my dad, uh, who is, you know, he's, he's a, my dad's a great musician and, um, I was obviously grew up, he's a great piano player and grew up around him and he needed to record some stuff for some reason. Um, probably for some, something church related or something like that. And I remember he bought, uh, cakewalk home studio, 2002. Nice. Um, so I remember like I, uh, I got a hold of that. He let me use it and he had set up to where he was able to set it up a quarter inch, um, like a quarter inch I could plug in. I think I had like a fender, like little basement. It's not an actual basement. Like they had a line called the basement, like practice amps for a bit. I had a bass amp that I ran line out to that into the sound card of his like probably Windows 98 PC and uh, ran Cakewalk Home Studio 2002 on that. And then I remember I just learned a lot of that was my first DAW that I learned kind of how to record and stuff and uh, did that for a bit. Did some tried to write some songs, did some stupid covers on it, you know, just learned. And then, yeah, then I kind of. Yeah, I, I kind of fell off for a bit recording wise. Like I remember, I got super into guitar and guitar tone, mm-hmm. and that kind of bassist first, right? I was a bassist first, so I played bass, and then but around the same time, I started picking up guitar, and then I figured out I could use my Zoom GFX8 to plug into that sound thing, the quarter inch that was going into sound card record guitar stuff. So yeah. around that time is kind of when I started getting into that some. Um, but yeah, I really got into like tube amps and you know different guitars and stuff like that as a grow as a guitar player and and bass player. Um, but then, yeah, I remember my friend gave me the uh, guitar port. I used that for a long time, and I had because my dad saw that I was getting back into recording. He bought me. He's like, "Well, this is kind of similar or something like that." I think it was Sonar. X1 because Sonar Cakewalk was the same same thing except the Sonar was like more advanced version I guess kind of like GarageBand to Logic Logic so I had Sonar X1 I learned a lot on that is super difficult not user friendly at all but you know I learned on it and then I got Logic uh, Nine Express I think mm-hmm. next yeah, yeah yeah learned a lot in Logic and then I was very and then I learned kind of Pro Tools I, uh. Uh, around that time and some friends that had it um but so i did that and then eventually i moved on to studio one and that's kind of i'm a huge studio one advocate so that's kind of what i've been with for the probably the past five six years you've been on studio one for like five years yeah i had the original studio one. Oh lord okay i thought you only jumped on on three no i've had it since uh the beginning they like the first revision they came out with yeah my my friend uh david moore who was the drummer my first band that i played in limbo he and i, I skipped oh, i mean that that's not skip there was a time in the band limbo um that i played with that we actually my friend david had a studio in his parents house and we actually recorded a few bands we actually recorded 
a band called I Float Above, which eventually Ryan Bentley was in that band. He eventually went on to play in a band called Memphis Mayfire. And then mm. Ryan also played in your band, Lisa These, for a bit too. And he's yeah. also filled in for my band, Fever Youth. <laughs> so Ryan's been around for a long time, but yeah. He's the one, village bassist. Yeah, the village bassist slash guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> and we recorded his like first original band uh, called I Float Above back in the day in that studio. And back then we were using like Cubase... Like it was a very early version of Cubase LE or something wow. like that. It was crazy. It was like the free one that you got with something. I can't remember, but I did. So I did learn a lot on Cubase too. I forgot about that completely. Uh, so yeah. And then I say who got me to the logic and whenever uh, we recorded with Kel, also a Memphis Mayfire member, uh, Kellen McGregor, when he did my band, Dolan Kaysland's album, he used logic nine at the time. And so I was like, and he was a very in the box guy, and he mm-hmm. he honestly molded a lot of my in the box mentality because mm-hmm. he was very much like he's like you don't need the extra stuff. He's like, man, there's so many things you can do. Like technology is progressing, and this is back before so much was out. Like XFX wasn't like a big thing or Kemper, but he just used like I remember he showed me like those Palin guitar sim plugins that are for free. Still sound great. He just like I remember their record, The Hollow. They used a Palin Lecto plug-in for all the guitar tones on that record and slate drums for the drums like and so hearing that record made me think wow okay this stuff's coming along so that really shifted kind of the using plug-in route for me for a lot so don't mean to go on forever but <laughs> no it's all good so um you know i've i went to school for pro tools and then i ended up getting really big into logic uh-huh um not logic sorry reason okay um yeah, I was a big fan of Reason because it was like, oh, these drums sound pretty, you know. Yeah. Out of all the DAWs that come with instruments. Yeah, the drums actually sounded pretty decent on that. I never used it, but I knew a lot of guys who did, and I was like, always, I was. That started to kind of, I was like, wow, like digital drums can kind of sound, kind of real, you know? Yeah, yeah, and like, and Reason uses like real samples, like right. part of their pitching point. I think I had Reason seven or eight, and there was a a video showing like them simulating how they recorded velocities and stuff and i was uh-huh. like okay real snares mic'd okay that, that'll work and i used that for a while and i remember uh the amp that that comes with is just a pod farm uh-huh. but you get the plexi the dual rec and a fender what else Black do you face. need yeah right and um you know i've been doing recordings for a while i've had vox ac 30s i've had orange amps i've had a bunch of tube amps and What's funny is the first time I've ever had someone just compliment my tone and ask me what I'm using, ask me what my signal flow was, was when I literally just used Reason's uh, pod farm <laughs> on a Plexi. And they were like, dude, is that an AC30? Like, are you man. using a ribbon on that, man? What's that? And I was like, it's pod farm on Plexi, and I'm using the Telecaster <laughs> DI. And, like, all the comments and the thread stopped. Yeah. It's, <laughs> People just got butt hurt. <laughs> that's the way it goes, man. Like, I'm almost reluctant to compliment tones on stuff anymore because like at least for a while because i was like i'm gonna say that's like sounds awesome and then it's like oh yeah that was just you like super early pod form or something like that and then but i mean i think it's like at if it sounds good it sounds good exactly you know and, and and i think as guitar players and i think musicians are this way in general in a lot of different areas i think we get so prideful on our own gear mm-hmm. and i know for me like it's something about having your own personal tube amplifier, your own personal cab. There's something like 
really cool about that. And there's definitely the cool kind of quote unquote sexy factor there where you're like, this is my tone. This is my individual amp. I only have this sound. And I think we put a lot of pride in that. And I mm-hmm. think some of it is warranted and some, probably a lot of it is not, you know? No, for sure. And um, I'll tell you what, anytime I've had just a Helix or an AX8, has been the most uh, proficient of my playing, has been the most no-nonsense of my playing, has been uh, the happiest I've been to lug gear around to shows. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's... And there's also a difference um, between kind of the bedroom player and also the person who's playing like out really consistently. Because I think like whenever I started playing out more and doing some touring and stuff like that, like my rig just got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Like I remember like starting out, um, like when I was younger, when I was young, no, uh, whenever I was like 18 through like 20, 21, when I played in my first band limbo, um, and I was a bass player in that band, you know, I had a Mesa powerhouse, 1000 cab had the, uh, big block, 750 head Mesa as well, as well as, and I also had the Mesa, you'll get that. I'm, I've always been a Mesa guy. I don't know why. I'm just stuck on that Very brand. Very Mesa guy. <laughs> I, I'm all about brand loyalty, and I think some of the first guitar tones that I identified with that I really liked, and I knew that I liked it, was like, uh, I think Brad Nelson, like Linkin Park, and Ben Casca played with Skillet like back in the day. So I remember, dual and Triple Rex? Uh, dual and Triple Rex, and they played like PRS guitars, and I was like, that sounds awesome to me, so those are kind of brands I've latched onto and still carry with me. But... All to say, so I played like a big, massive or a pretty good sized bass rig. But at the time, I was like, "No, was, I'll carry it for the tone," you know. Mm-hmm. And then as a guitar player in my next band, um, I had a, a road case that I, I didn't get it from him directly, but I had a road case that I bought for the person who bought it from him. Is a Mesa. It was a guitar player for Pod. Is like his old road case, mm-hmm. and I had a Mesa had a slot for a Mesa two twelve and a four twelve all in one road case, and then I used like. Uh, I think a Mesa Mark five with that rig. And that's what I toured with. And we had, and it was ridiculous. We had, that's so heavy. We had a ridiculously <laughs> huge, we had a big trailer that like I could, and it had wheels and I was able to roll it up on okay. and off, That's good. which was good. But man, it was like, I was like, but I would like get that whole rig up on stage and I'd be super proud of it. And be like, yeah, I'm stoked to use this. And then sound guy would walk up SM 57 on like my two twelve. Yep, And I'd be like, Dude, the last maybe 40 shows I've played, my rig has been in my backpack. Yeah. Uh, and and then it's it's funny because I, uh, yeah, eventually that my rig kept diminishing and di- kept diminishing. And finally I was like, okay, it's like, I'm going to give, because like, I think Periphery, that band opened my eyes and I think it opened the a lot of people's eyes to how far like Amp Sims and like drum samples in that whole digital realm. I think they opened a lot of people's eyes to how far it had come because I remember that first record hearing that and I just, I could not believe that they were digital lamp tones and I couldn't believe that the drummer just played a, uh, like a roll is like a rolling B drums, like, uh, like a, a TD 20 or something oh, like that. I didn't know he recorded to electric kit. I thought he yeah. had triggers on a real kit. No, the first record, he literally played a rolling TD 20 into a superior drummer. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Well, and so let's go ahead and segue into the the actual topic then. Right. Is we you know we're talking about analog to digital, 
And I think we both had our fair share of analog and digital and lots of things. Oh, for sure. And um, I wanted to kind of keep it around three territories. Yeah. And for me, it would be when you're recording, there's the interface, your preamp. Uh-huh. What's going on? Are you just using the onboard uh, pre's on your interface or are you going to use like outboard gear to kind of compensate for different things? Like right now, we're both speaking into a warm audio WA-273 with EQ. Right. And... We got this um, maybe a month ago, tops. Yeah, and this has like opened our eyes to a whole other world of possible uh, at the source sound, which is oh, you know sure. everyone talks about like your sound is only as good as your out the, at the source um, input, right? And we've been getting some of the best sounds we've ever had, and we're kind of like you know before we were like not believers, we were right. totally like oh dude we can make anything sound good, which I will say this. You can, you can make almost everything sound good. Right. Anything we're doing right now with this preamp, we could do post. Right. Um, you know, we could make cuts. We can do certain things. We could compress it. We could do... Um, but yeah, is yeah. doing that the most economical <laughs> way of handling things, too? No, because after this, we're done. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I've had an Apollo Twin, um, and I wasn't in the right environment to be able to use it to its fullest potential with the Unison plugins. Right. Uh, and the sounds were amazing. And there, there's little moments here and there where I miss it. And I, I know in the next two or three years, uh, an Apollo like 18 or whatever right. will be in my my world. But as of right now, this PreSonus Quantum is killing it. It's awesome. And um, there's just so much that we think we need to get and buy. Because we would be fine without this preamp. Yeah, we you you could hear our audio, you could hear us in your earbuds or whatever you're listening to us on. You know, it like the job would still get done. Absolutely, and you know, I could next week or next episode we could straight up just go straight into the quantum, and I bet no one would know the difference. Probably not. There'd be the occasional guy be like, oh, the, the, the tone of your voice in the last <laughs> one was better. This one seems too dark. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, even if that's the case, just high pass filter. You know. Yeah. You know, clean it up. Get rid of the mud. Exactly. Um, I don't know. What, what what have been your impressions? Yeah, I'd say, like, out of everything, I'd say in the recording realm, like, outboard pre's and compressors are probably what I've held off the longest on and been the most re- reluctant to because most of my recording experience has kind of been more on the go and I've needed whatever worked for me. What Whatever was the most economical and whatever got the job done was the way I went. And so most times it was on a laptop. A lot of times it was, you know, if I was tracking stuff on the go, I was using headphones, you know, so I needed to be able to recall my sessions without having to rely on any inserts or anything like that. Or mm-hmm. I was able to log, like uh, having to tote around a rack mount with like, you know, my, uh, warm audio WA 76 and like your, you know, your, uh, WA 273 EQ, you know, and so it wasn't something that really worked for me. So it wasn't until we started doing a lot of the hunting gold stuff. You know, you always hear people, I listen to a ton of podcasts, you know, who swear by analog gear and I definitely has a place in the world. And I think it is still very relevant. Um, and I've, you know, learned that there is a lot of usefulness to it. But in my situation, it never really made sense. So it hasn't been until recently that I've been like, okay, they're really, you know, it can really help and really does, especially at the source. If it's like subtle stuff at the source that just makes it that 10 to 20% better, mm-hmm. you know, it really, it makes your workflow later a lot easier. Mm-hmm. 
as say like specifically with the Raven Hill vocals that we most recently did. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I had to do, you know, did my standard like plug in chain with a few different things, like compress it a little bit more, you know, but I, I got results. I was happy with a lot faster. That's for sure. For sure. Um, a big part for me is when I had the Apollo, I had to have the Apollo plugged in to use all my plugins. Right. And that was frustrating because like you, I'm on the go, my recording rigs, my laptop. Um, if I wanted to edit a podcast or a video or something like that, but I wanted to have a, an 1176 plugin or LA two way, I had to have my Apollo plugged in. Oh yeah. I never, I never thought of that honestly. Cause I've, I've always kind of, I think the UA stuff is great and I see its purpose and I see why it is good and why people use it. To me, it's still my favorite sounding of the different plugins. Yeah. Yeah. No, I say the plugins, plugins are awesome, but part of the reason I've avoided it a lot of times is because it is so reliant on that unit mm-hmm. individually. Uh, and I personally, this isn't, I personally prefer Apogee Priest. That's just my ears. Mm-hmm. So like, for me, it's like, well, I'd sacrifice pre's that to me sound better um, and like utilizing different plugins versus having to rely on Apollo all the time, even though mm-hmm. it does sound really, really good. Which was my transition out of it. Right. Um, and if you're using Apollo, that's awesome. Like, don't don't listen to this and think I'm knocking Apollo. Right. Uh, because if Apollo I, is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. If I had a place where like I had three rooms set up and I was always recording in the same space. Apollo would be my number one go-to. I would right. not, I would, I wouldn't look anywhere else. Right. Um, but just for my, my universe and where I'm working with stuff, I need the flexibility of not being tied to a single unit. Right. Makes a lot of sense. So, um, but you know, as far as preamps go, uh, dude, I've tried some great ones. I tried some bad ones. Uh huh. You know what never fails? What's that? Just the pre in your interface. Yeah. And I so mean, I, I, I don't want to talk up like you need to go out right now and buy some, uh, outboard gear because I'll say this I've had stuff like the art tube and mp pre right and you know when, when you get something new you play with it a bunch and then you realize it does a bunch of stuff you don't want like right for me my voice is very like low mid heavy uh-huh and whatever uh like a uh tube saturation does to my voice it just makes it hurt when you listen to it it brings out it emphasizes the wrong frequencies for your voice specifically. Absolutely. And so like, it, it's so weird that you have to A, B so much stuff for personal flavor. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. Like for me, yeah. Like I, I definitely speak to that because, you know, that's why I go the Apogee route to be like the, they're the pre's on the, the, they're super clean and pristine and they're what, whatever content is there it represents really well. It doesn't really color it. And that's kind of the way I prefer the work. And I've been so reliant on the preamps that are just on board there for so long. You know, it's like you learn them, you know what they can do you and you address and a lot of, it's all problem solving. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all addressing what you, what content you have and how do you get the results you want out of what you're working with. So, you know, that's always just worked really, really well for, for me. And I, I think there is a lot to, knowing the pre's on your interface mm-hmm. and figure out how to get the results you want out of that because that's going to be very from an economical sense it's going to be very functional for you absolutely like if i can't take a scarlet like two you know two i two yeah whatever, i had a two i two for a long time man it's great if i can't make music with that it's not the gear exactly <laughs> i think a lot of people and that's another thing like i think people 
they incorrectly put so much emphasis on the gear as being this root of like issues when it's like, because it's a pride thing. It's like, you don't want to hear, you don't want to tell yourself, Hey, maybe your ears and how you're perceiving it is the problem. And then, so people deflect and are like, Oh, this preamp is bad. Or, Oh, this, this is a piece of gear is not working for me. And I have done this. We all have done this. I am so guilty of this. The amount of money I've spent Dude, going it is back ridiculous. and forth. So if I'm saying this, <laughs> I'm literally talking to myself probably more than most people. So, you know, just keep that in mind. And I've, it hasn't been until like the past few years that I've started to really evaluate things and be like, look, you know, work on your craft. And I think you even said this. It's like, and I would agree with myself too. The times that I've gone the AX8 route personally, that's whenever I've stopped playing with knobs and stopped playing with tone controls. And I've just played mm-hmm. and gotten better as a musician for sure. And that's, what's important you know i feel mm-hmm. and if, and i think talking about you know talked about some uh outboard gear stuff as well is there anything you want to add as far as uh your experience with utilizing outboard gear before we move on to guitar stuff yeah i remember um when i was going to school um you know Colin college has a pretty legit audio right yeah program um, surprisingly like yeah you both you and Johnny went correct yes and uh, I considered it but I I went to UNT and did not get a audio production degree but but you got probably a better degree <laughs> maybe <laughs> arguably but, a better degree <laughs> yeah I, I don't know maybe. well you got a four-year degree right yeah well there yeah. you go it's a better degree <laughs> we got a certificate <laughs> <laughs> but I even thought about going to it after the fact just for for just education purposes strictly so the cool thing about being there is we had a HD Pro Tools rig, and on top of that, there was um, we, we had a big uh, digi uh, console, design, yeah, big old console. We had Avalon pre's, we had BAE pre's, uh-huh. um, and we got to play with a bunch of that stuff. We got to uh, test out how tube pre's sound versus solid state pre's. How going, you know, you know, the teacher going, oh, you know what, just plug that directly into the board, it'll sound great. Uh-huh. And us going, well, the Avalon's available. And he's like, you don't need the Avalon for everything. It's cool to have it, but don't worship the thing. Yeah, it's like one of those things. I feel like, and I'm guilty, again, guilty of this as well. A lot of times when you get a new piece of gear and it's sitting there, you feel like you have to use it on everything just because it's there. You're like, I invested in this. I need to utilize it. It's like, well, sometimes it's not the right decision. Yeah. You know, it's make the right decision for the right result, you know. Absolutely. And I don't know. My, I guess if I were to say anything from my personal experiences so far when it comes to an analog versus digital versus um, it's in the box versus out of the box Uh is learning how to find the right tool for what you need. Right. And not being ashamed of what it is. Exactly. Like in that one song, I had pod farm guitars and that was the best guitar tone anyone's ever heard of me coming out of my recordings. And what's silly is I've, I've mic'd Marshalls, I've mic'd Mesas, I've mic'd Oranges, I've mic'd Voxes and Fenders. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I've, I've done, uh, you know, Royer 121s on things. I've had uh U87s on things. I've had 414s on things like a bunch of these mics that people would consider uh high mid to high class mics. And sure enough, the one that was the, literally the cheapest that was thrown in in the bundle, uh, got the most praise out of anything, which is so, uh, you know, it's frustrating when you're the engineer or you're the person investing in the stuff. Right. 
but it just comes down to well i grew up on pod farm and so yeah. i knew how to mix pod farm guitars yeah 100%. And I, yeah and so if you could walk away with anything from this perspective of the discussion it's just you know know your gear learn it and use it because no matter what at the end of the day no one's listening to a track going oh that's definitely an ac30 from the 60s era i can really hear how the chime and the, the speak you know no one cares and no, if you can do can. that i mean more power to you but i can't yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? if you can't do that you need to uh go to shows and start making bets exactly and, you know earn a living doing that <laughs> yeah, cap- capitalize on your gift that you've been given um yeah and i would say even a real life example that happened very recently like we had tracked some um i'm finishing up a record by a band called raven hill that i also play in um and if uh if they're a big part of the honey gold network which this podcast is a part of so check them out cool stuff i love it but we had tracked some guitars um which i had i had tracked some di's um and we had reamped through i think um my mesa mark 535 i believe and i had ran that out i think i did some with the triple crowd too i think i reamped it mic'd up the cab with like a sm7b and a 414 ran that in and then so I re-amped them all, and at the time, I'm like, okay, yeah, these are sounding great. I love the way they sound. I approached them later, and I'm like, you know what? These are just, like, once I started dr- uh, dialing in drum tones, bass tone, and kind of fitting where everything's going to go, I was like, you know what? These don't sit quite right to me. Mm-hmm. And so the solution that worked, which killed me, but it's I had to just evaluate be like, hey, this is what works. Freaking Amplitube. Mm, the such a good software dude i love it like it some people dog it man i think it's great um i love the fact that they actually get licensed like it me it may, means something to me that they actually take the time to get the companies to license the stuff because it shows they go the extra mile to say like hey mesa which has not done anything digital ever said this representation of a rectifier is great um, Did you use the 8030? I used the Orange 8030, which is like my go-to. I don't know why I love Orange 8030s. I'm not a big Orange amp guy, but for some reason, the 8030 just works for me. And I use like their their licensed full-tone OCD as like a, in front of the AC30 to boost it, get a little bit more saturation on it. I use that as the main rhythm guitar tone. I still use the the Mesa for like all the lead stuff because I think that worked. I used the Mark IIc Plus mode on that, and that sounded great. But for all the rhythm stuff, it's all just freaking Amplitube. And it sounded, it sounds great to me. So that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I think finishing up on amplifiers, you know, I think this was even more recently the, the one I've battled with the most because, you know, I think guitar amp guitarists, we like, we want to hold on to our amps and we, we'd have a lot of pride in them. And I, I had an AX8 about a year ago and I loved it. I loved it to death. And I've played shows with it. Like there were some shows I didn't even run a cab. I ran DI out, had it in my backpack and it sounded awesome. Yep. Got phenomenal results. And then, but then I got that tube amp itch again mm-hmm. and I went back and I bought a few amps that, you know, are fun and great. And I'm coming around again. I'm doing that circle that a lot of guitar players do. It's like, you know, I have a whole tube amp analog rig. It's great, but functionally, in a show it's frustrating. setting, it's frustrating. And for the type of band that I'm in, I don't have a like a road crew to help haul <laughs> around gear and set up my stuff at shows. And it's like, and I'm good at setting it up. And it's like, I loved the idea of uh, 
having just one unit that does everything. Kind of going back to the way I thought as like a 15 year old, you know, it's like, yeah. it makes sense to have everything here in a technology, in my opinion, has progressed to the point to where it's like, you know, and I don't know if we had to talk about it, but like there's a YouTube video that's going to kind of coincide with the discussion that we're going to put out there. Um, that, that does a really good job of kind of comparing analog versus digital. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think it's just a great test and a very eye opening test for myself. And I think it benefited, hopefully it'll benefit other people, but I think it benefited me as well. So, yeah. So what we did is we had, uh, the Mesa Mark five, uh, yeah. set to the, uh, Mesa Mark two C plus C plus, yeah. which is like, if you're not a Mesa guy, that is like the Holy grail of Mesa tone, like a uh, people, like the like Master of Puppets, Metallica, like that tone is that record, or uh, is on that record, the made rhythm tone of that record. Uh, a lot of John Petrucci, like Dream Theater stuff, like his like Holy Grail tones, a lot of that amp, and, and a bunch of other people. So that amp is like really highly regarded as far as being one of the Holy Grail amps out there. So, so we took that, we made as close to, um, digital setting within the AX8, which uh, if if you've been hearing AX8, you're not sure what that is. That's the fractal axe effects, but it comes in a all-in-one enclosure similar to the Helix without yeah. the volume pedal. Yeah, it's basically an axe effects to XL plus. Like the it's like the the amps that it come on the standard axe effects to, um, just in a pedal format essentially, which and, makes a lot of sense to me. I I love the like. That's one reason I never went fractal for or for the longest time. I was like, if they ever put it in a pedal format, then they'll just take my money. Yeah, which they've done, and they're going to do again. Yes, they're about to do it. <laughs> and um, what we did is we um, we sent the fractal through a um, Seymour Duncan Power Stage 170, mm -hmm. and we put that and then the Mesa through the same exact cab, um, blind test with Kalen, uh -huh. and we mic'd the signal, um, and it's going to be in a YouTube video, and essentially... We A-B'd one and two, one and two, one and two, uh -huh. um, four times. And then I had Kalen talk about the different tones, talk about what he felt, what he enjoyed about them, and then guess which was which. Right. And uh, the ending was wonderful. We're not going <laughs> to spoil it for you, but you definitely need to check out the yeah, video. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, either I'm one of two things. One, I'm super stoked out of my mind that I guessed it right. Or two, I'm completely devastated that I got it wrong. So it's definitely <laughs> worth checking it out. Uh, I highly recommend you check out the YouTube video and so, to get what we're talking about. If you want to find that, that'll be at uh, youtube.com slash producer dudes. Yeah. So just either search that in the old YouTube search bar or go directly to the source. But yeah. All right. So I think talking about this discussion and I don't know, like a lot of people, I think, put analog versus digital. I think they, there's a lot of like, some people get very passionate about it and they kind of like put the two against each other. I don't, you know, I think they have different purposes and different things. And at the end of the day, I think if I was to sum it up, I don't think it matters at the end of the day. I think it's not a question of if it's analog or is it digital that matters. It's, are you getting the result that you want that matters is like, are you happy with the end product? If it shouldn't be this question of, oh, is that analog gear not doing the job? Or is that digital gear, gear not doing the job? It should be, is this gear getting helping me get the results that I want? And then it's a game of isolation. If it's not, figuring out what the problem is. Sometimes, probably most of the time, it's not the gear and it's probably you and the user trying to, not using the gear correctly. 
for sure. I think um, like using an SSL uh, channel strip, for example, you know, um, you can have the real deal. Right. You can have the you can have the version from Apollo UAD. Waves, you can have waves. You can have um, slate. Slate. There's so many versions of it, and they all sound different. Right. And you know, one might not work for a certain application, but at the end of the day, I might choose my Fab Filter EQ over all of them. Right. Period. Even if I had access to a real live SSL board, I'm still probably going to my Fab Filter Q2 because yeah. I know that plugin so well, Dude, and EQ, I can get whatever. So, yeah. If you don't have that EQ, buy it right now. You will thank us later. It would be your last EQ you yeah, need to buy. It's incredible. Um, and you know, I got the um complete. Uh, LA two way eleven seventy six, and I don't like them as much as like the Apollo ones. But uh-huh. at the same time, you know, Waves has decent ones, and then you have your eleven seventy six, um, by w- by Warm, and they all sound different. They all functionally exist a little bit differently, and I know they're they're all modeling the same thing, uh-huh. but one sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but which just leads me to go even the analog gear, all the because those are way those are wired, those all sound different. So they are all modeling quote unquote the same same thing mm-hmm. but they're all different slightly different variations in, even in the ones they modeled so For sure that, that's gonna translate into the digital realm as well and so all this to say no matter what you're doing analog and digital stuff totally can coexist uh-huh. uh, in fact i love the fact that i could go into this pre i love the fact that if i want to do something later i could go straight into my dw and then bring in a different pre and color the tone a different way yeah and just the fact that there's so much flexibility that you know, we we live in like the greatest time to be making music. Oh, for sure. You know, you can make some of the best sounding recordings in a bedroom, and it just takes the knowledge to know how to use your tools, make it work right, and being conscious of what how audio and physics work, and just taking sure. advantage of all the opportunities we have. Yeah, most definitely. And like, I think for me, the kind of if there's like a solution that Eric and I have come to, um, for the most part, like I like using analog gear going in and then i i primarily mix in the box personally like i don't really send anything out to anything analog in post but going in i'll use some analog stuff to get some warmth a little flavor that i want going in and then just do everything else in the box and i think that's it works well because you can i can still take my laptop save my settings you know and mix on the road if i need to um but you know when i'm actually tracking this stuff we got the you know analog sound baked into the tracks so that works well for me and it, you know I, I think uh, I was li- listening to a podcast on the Six Figure Home Studio recently great podcast if you haven't checked it out benefits me a lot and I know it will uh, benefit you if you're interested in the stuff we're talking about uh, I think Billy Decker was like w- like probably one of the most famous country producers that are out there right now He he's completely in the box mixing it, he's very adamant about that. He's always like, well, it makes the most sense for me. I can save my settings. It's like, I don't have to recall sessions. I don't have to spend a day to recall my sessions. It just, I'm able to pump out quality mixes faster and get more work done. So it just makes the most sense. And I completely think that's the way to do it. And a side note, I think worth mentioning, there are a lot of podcasts out now that um, are very intentional about not talking about brands, not talking about specific items. Um, but you know, we're the producer dudes. We really want to get into the nitty gritty, talk oh, about, sure. talk about certain things because it's exciting. Gear is fun. Dude, it's so fun. As that, long as it doesn't become like an idol that ruins your financial life and like you know, it probably has ours to an extent in the past. 
yeah. we've, 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 we've learned, like, <laughs> like I said, most of the things that we say that's like negative, it, chances are we've done it all. You know? Well, and that's why it's negative is because we're like, we want to save you guys the trouble from having to make the same mistakes we did. Exactly. Um, but, like, you know, buying, selling, buying, selling this, like for a good example the Telecaster I played this morning was a guitar I owned, uh, technically <laughs> I would have owned it back in 2001, 2001. Wow. And, um, I sold it like five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You sold it. Yeah. Four or five years ago. I remember you, I almost bought it from you, but I yeah. decided last minute, I was like, I couldn't pull the funds together. And then you sold it to guitar, guitar center. center where we both worked at the time. And, uh, and I remember I was a salesman. I sold it to one of my customers mm-hmm. and I felt really bad about it. Like I, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was showing the guy. I was like, dude, this guitar is awesome. So I just play it if you want, if you like it. And he was like, dude, this guitar is amazing. I was like, I knew you'd say that it's amazing. And he's like, yeah, I want to buy it. I was like, I knew you want to buy it. And, I, <laughs> and, and, and then it popped in like not even, it was a couple weeks back. I was back in the same store. Um, uh, just, hanging out and talking to some people who I used to work with. And I was like, man, that telly on the wall looks so familiar. I was like, wait, that's the same color. I was like, wait, it has the same noiseless pickup. So I picked it up. I'm like, texted Eric. I was like, Hey, I think this is your old telly. Uh, I feel like I remember sometime you saying you wanted it. You missed it. You wanted it back. And like, you were like, called me. Yeah. I like, called him immediately. Like, <laughs> like immediately. Like you're like, Oh, is that it? I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. He's like, does it have this? Does it have this? Does it have this? I'm like, yeah, it looks, it checks out. And I was like, dude, okay, I'll throw it on layaway for you. It, and uh, you can come back and get it, get it later. Cause I know you want this thing. So, and yeah. I got it and, and he has it now. I fact checked it. I, I went through the serial number. I found out it was my original, but here's the thing. Like I sold it wanting to get something else to like, quote unquote, <laughs> improve my sound and get better where like I had the magic bullet the whole time. Right. I just wasn't, I didn't know how to shoot it. Exactly. And uh, essentially like I got it back and this is awesome. This is very rare that anyone has this opportunity. Yeah. And I, we're trying to save you guys the stress of going through this. And so and I know for me too, <laughs> it's like, there is, there is a rush that I get. Or like I'll get bored with, or I'll have gear for a long time, and I'll quote unquote get bored with it just because I've had it for a while, and then because I get bored with it, I start trying to make up reasons for why I quote unquote don't like it, and I try to convince myself of reasons why I need to get rid of it. Then I'll end up getting rid of it just so I can get that dopamine rush, an adrenaline rush of getting something new and fresh, and then a lot of times I'll I'll get that new thing, and then I'll be like, man, I really miss what I had, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so. And that's something I think we're all guilty of. And so that's something we're trying to uh, recommend you guys avoid because it's not the route to go. It's like find gear you like and that you connect with and stick with it, you know. And then if you want something new, just just save up and buy more stuff, you know. And if something doesn't, you legitimately have something, you just sit there, you don't use it, then maybe it's time to let go of it. Yeah, because someone else probably needs that chapter of their life to be stuck. Yeah, for sure. And so... Um, wait, we hope you enjoyed this first episode. Um, please subscribe. Please leave us a review. We look forward to that. Yeah. And um, if you'd like to shoot us an email on episode suggestions, hit me up at eric at honeygoldrecords.com. Or hit me up as well at kalen, and that's spelled K-A-L-E-N, at honeygoldrecords.com. And we'll see you next time. Take care. See you later.